Numbers chapter 13, beginning in verse 25, the Bible said, And they returned from spying out the land after forty days. Now they departed and came back to Moses and Aaron and all of the congregation of the children of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh. And they brought back word to them, to all the congregation, and showed them the fruit of the land. And then they told him and said, We went to the land where you sent us. It truly flows with milk and honey, and this is the fruit. Nevertheless, the people who dwell in the land are strong. The cities are fortified and very large. Moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the south, to the south. The Hittites and Jebusites and the Amorites dwell in the mountains. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the banks of the Jordan. Then Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, Let us go up at once and take possession, for we are well able to overcome it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We're not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we. And they gave the children of Israel a bad report of the land, which they had spied out, saying, The land through which we've gone as spies is a land that devours its inhabitants. And all the people who we saw in it are men of great stature. There we saw the giants who were the descendants of Anak and that came from the giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. Going over to Numbers chapter 14, beginning in verse 1. So all the congregation lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and, whom, and, and the whole congregation said to them, If only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in this wilderness. Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword, that our wives and children should become victims? Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? I want to preach and teach for a little while this morning on don't let the enemy's roadblocks keep you from reaching your promised land. Don't let the enemy's roadblocks stop you from reaching your promised land. You see, the story of the exodus of the children of Israel out of Egypt is an intriguing story. It's a phenomenal story that really shows us the power and the anointing of God and His plan. Jehovah God was careful in His selection of the man chosen to lead over two million Jews out of the land of bondage and to lead them to the promised land of Canaan. He was very careful about His choice in leadership. It's typically not difficult to get people excited about God-given dreams of liberty and freedom, especially when you've been in bondage for 430 years. It wouldn't take very much to get people excited about being delivered. God had said to Moses, he said, I'm come down to deliver my people out of the hand of Egypt and to bring them up out of this land and to bring them to a land flowing with milk and with honey. 
When God began to move, the people were motivated. It excited them. When they began to hear the words of God, they began, their faith began to rise in them. And they began to think about the possibilities of no longer being ruled by the Egyptians and no longer being under hard labor and hard times. And it motivated them. It seemed that nothing could stop them. And momentum and motivation are a wonderful thing. But regardless of how much of it you have, there are no promises are guarantees of an unhindered journey in where God's going to bring you. You see, there were several roadblocks along the way that the children of Israel experienced even though it was God's plan to bring them out. It was God's plan for them to be delivered. It was His plan for them to reach a promised land and blessings in their life. All of that was the plan of God. But it did not mean that there were not going to be roadblocks and challenges ahead of them on the journey. (coughs) With all of us sitting here this morning facing a new year, a new time in God, a new time in our families. We've had a year that's passed that has been full of challenges. It's been full of things that we've had to overcome, we've had to face, we've had to deal with, we've had to talk about, we've had to pray about, we've had to overcome. 2020 is here. I believe that God still has a plan for my life. He still has a plan for your life. He still has a plan for Dilworth Church of God and a plan that He's going to take us to places that he's never took us before and to help us see things that we've never seen happen for the kingdom of God. I'm not down, I'm not discouraged, I'm not doom and gloom this morning. I'm uplifted. I believe that this is a great time in God. I believe it's a great time to be a Christian. But yet on the other side of that coin, I also know that the devil's not going to sit idly by and let us just ease on through until we get to the end of the journey that God has for us. I know that there's going to be challenges. There's going to be things that we're going to have to overcome. And in doing that, we're going to have to stick together. In doing that, we're going to have to keep the faith. In doing that, we're going to have to spend time in prayer. In doing that, we're going to have to push the plate back and spend time fasting and praying and believing God. But there's nothing impossible with God when God is on your side. And how many know God is on your side this morning. I believe that God is on our side. You see, the children of Israel, even though it was the plan of God to be delivered from the Egyptian bondage, and it was His will and plan, He even chose a leader in Moses to lead them out, there was challenges along the way. I know we get it stuck in our minds sometimes that when we're in the perfect will of God, it means that there shouldn't be any hindrances. There shouldn't be any challenges. There shouldn't be anything. It should just open up and everything go smooth. Well, it don't always go that way. And it didn't go that way for the children of Israel, but it did not mean they were not in the will of God. You've got to realize that you can be divinely in the center of God's will and still face a challenge that rocks your world. It don't mean you sin. 
It don't mean you've been displeasing to the Lord. It don't mean you've done something wrong. It doesn't mean God's mad at you. It just means that there's a challenge standing in front of you because the enemy don't want you to reach your destination and he's trying to get you to a point that you'll quit. I got news for him. We ain't got no quitters around here. All we got is commitment, dedication, faith, believing, and trusting God. We ain't got any quitters around here. We're trusting the Lord. And this is what the children of Israel had to learn some hard lessons in how to trust God. And for the next few minutes, I want us to look at some of the roadblocks that the children of Israel encountered even though they were divinely in the center of God's will. They were in the middle of God's plan, but yet they faced challenges. (coughs) What are some of the roadblocks? That stood in their way. What were the obstacles that tried to hinder them from reaching their promised land? The first roadblock the children of Israel encountered was a wicked Pharaoh. History records the wickedness of this man. His name was Ramesses. Most historians or scholars refer to him as the ancient Hitler. That's how devious he was. That's how that that's how his demeanor was. That's the type of person that he's been compared to. He had no regard for the work that Joseph had done for all those years as prime minister over Egypt. It didn't matter that he had saved the nation. It didn't matter that he had stored food in the storehouses. It didn't matter that he had helped them get through a famine. It didn't matter that he had turned hearts toward God. It didn't matter to this man. He didn't care about any of that. It didn't hold any weight with him. He used tyranny to express or oppress the people of God. Now God chose Moses to confront him with the word of the Lord which was let my people go. Let my people go. When you begin to read in this story over in Exodus chapter 7, it said, But Pharaoh will not heed you so that I may lay my hand on Egypt and bring my armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great judgment. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand on Egypt and bring out the children of Israel from among them. Now, God chose Moses to be the leader of the children of Israel and to bring them out and deliver them, but then he hardened the heart of Pharaoh. He said, Pharaoh's not going to let the people go. I want you to go tell him to let my people go, but know when you get there, he's not going to. And he said, I've hardened his heart because there's going to be things that I'm going to show the people in the land of Egypt to let them know there's a God besides a statue that they need to be serving. And he began then. (coughs) Pharaoh was determined that he was not going to let the people go, so God brought the plagues upon Egypt. He brought the first plague, which was the turning the waters to blood. All the rivers, all the streams, all the water in Egypt was turned to blood. The second plague was he covered all the territory with frogs. The third plague was he brought the lice. The fourth plague was he brought the flies. The fifth plague was he brought disease upon all the livestock. The sixth plague was he brought the sore boils on man and on beast. The seventh plague was he brought the hailstorm. The eighth 
plague was he brought the locusts. And the ninth plague was the thick darkness which lasted for three solid days. And it was pitch black and there was nothing that you could see even in front of your face. The tenth plague was the death of the firstborn. For all the firstborn to the land of Egypt shall die for the firstborn of Pharaoh to the firstborn of the servant as well as the firstborn of all the livestock. These were the ten plagues that he brought upon Egypt and the people that was there. He brought these upon them to get Pharaoh to realize there was somebody higher than him. It came to pass at midnight that the Lord struck all the firstborn in the land of Egypt. It also took Pharaoh's son. When Pharaoh's son was dead and pronounced that he was dead, in the middle of the wee hours of the morning, Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise, go out from among my people, both you and the children of Israel. God touched a nation with plagues to get them to a point that they would let the children of Israel leave without any problems. God has never been hindered by the stubbornness of men. Herod fell dead and was devoured by worms. Haman was hung by his own gallows. Goliath fell at the hand of a shepherd boy named David that had nothing but a slingshot and five smooth stones. Ahab and Jezebel died by the judgment of God. Psalms 27 and 1 said, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? He had to realize there was somebody with more power than he had. He finally decided, I'm calling Moses, I'm calling Aaron, I'm telling them to gather the people and the children of Israel and to get out of Egypt. I want you to leave. I don't want you to wait till morning. I want you to go right now. I'm sure Moses thought, yes, we've reached the point finally that the children of Israel are going to get to leave. We know the story of how they plundered the Egyptians and they asked for gold and they asked for fine goods and they gave them the goods they asked for because they wanted them gone. I want you out of here. And they left with great possessions. They're thinking in their mind, we're free. Finally, after 430 years of slavery, we're free. But then they get to the place that they find the Red Sea in front of them. And then they begin to look back behind them, and they see a dust cloud. You see, the second roadblock that the children of Israel encountered was the Red Sea. That was the next challenge. We know that the children of Israel left Egypt after plundering the city for all the gold and silver that the Egyptians would give them, and then they camped by the Red Sea. In Exodus 14, it tells the amazing story of how the Red Sea opened for the people of God. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh 
And he pursued after the children of Israel with all the horses, all the chariots of Pharaoh, and his horsemen and his army, and they overtook them, camped by the sea. Here they are. They're camped thinking they're free, finally. They've got freedom. They've been blessed with goods. They're headed to a good place. And then they look up, and here comes a dust storm. Here comes a cloud on the horizon. And then they realize that that cloud is being stirred up by the wheels and the horses of the armies of Egypt. And they're coming to take them back into bondage. After Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes and they were afraid. So they cried out to the Lord. And Moses told the people, he said, Don't be afraid, stand still, see the salvation of the Lord, which we will accomplish for you today. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. The Lord said to Moses, He said, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. Think about it. Here they are, the Red Sea's in front, they can't see a way to cross. They didn't have boats. They didn't have ships. They couldn't get 2.5 to 3 million people on enough boats to get across anyway. They look behind them, and here comes another attack. How many sitting here this morning, and you don't have to raise your hand, but you felt like you had just came through the storm. You just got over the victory. You just gained the breakthrough. You just got the victory, and then you looked up. And there was another storm coming. There was another challenge about to hit your life. There was another stumbling block thrown in your way meant to trip you up, to keep you from getting where God intended for you to be. (coughs) But the Lord said to Moses, tell the children of Israel to go forward. How are we going to go forward with a sea in front of us? He said, but lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go across on dry ground. What was Moses doing taking a staff, a shepherd's staff, lifting it up over a sea that they couldn't see the other side of, that looked impossible to get over, and here's God telling them, go forward. God, you expect us to swim to the other side? How are we going to go forward? What good is it going to do to lift up a stick over a Red Sea? The problem is, is that it was more than a stick. You see, what we don't realize is in the studying about a shepherd's staff is it's more than a piece of wood that you herd sheep with. It's more than a, a crook to be able to reach out and pull the lambs back in line. A shepherd's staff had engraved on it every promise that God had gave that shepherd, every word that had been spoken to them, was carved in to that staff. Now you think about it. 
Moses spent 40 years on the backside of the desert before God called him. What was he doing? He was shepherding his father-in-law's sheep. When he lifted up that staff, he was lifting up 40 years of promises. He was lifting up 40 years of things God had spoken to his heart on the backside of the desert that he thought never would come to pass. But God said, I had you write them down. I had you etch them into the staff so that when this day got here and you lift up the staff in the middle of an impossible situation, you're not lifting up a piece of wood. You're lifting up my promises that I gave you, that I said I was going to bring you through. And I said I would heal you. I said I'd deliver you. I said I'd set you free. He was lifting up more than a piece of wood. He was lifting up the promises of God. He was lifting up everything the Lord had spoke to him. He was lifting up everything God said is yours. Every time we lift this up, Every time we put this in front of us, every time we open the pages, there's another promise. There's another encouraging scripture. There's another day coming. There's another promise given because the Word of God doesn't lie and God gave it to us. This is our staff. This is the promises that Moses was lifting up. He lifted up the staff over the Red Sea. And divided it. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. And the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind. And all that night. And made the sea into a dry land. And the waters were divided. He made the waters go back. He said they still can't travel across. If the soil underneath the sea is going to be substance of mud and they're going to mar up, they can't get across still. So not only did he divide the waters, but when he brought the strong east wind all that night, he made the sea bottom dry land and the waters stay divided. He built a road in the middle of a sea to get his children to the other side. I don't know about you, but that tells me I'm pretty important to the Lord. If he'll divide an ocean and he'll build a road to get his people to the other side, how much more will God do for you that he died for? Mm. I think that's pretty important. So the children of Israel went across the sea on dry ground and the water was a wall to them on the right and on the left. <coughs> now think about this for a moment. They had to cross the Red Sea in one night. This couldn't have been a creekside's opening. For them to get across in one night, and there's between 2.5 and 3 million people that's got to cross the Red Sea. The people had to cross the sea in one night. There had to be a space in the sea three miles wide. 
to make it possible for them to walk across 5,000 abreast. In other words, 5,000, a line 5,000 people wide had to go across all night long for 2.5 to 3 million people to get across the Red Sea. This wasn't a little stream that God opened up. This was a sea. He didn't just build a road. He built an interstate. This thing was three miles wide to get them to the place where God wanted them to go. Now, after the children of Israel had crossed through the Red Sea, (coughs) the Lord told Moses, He said, Now, stretch out your rod over the sea again. And when he stretched out his rod over the sea, the waters may come back together upon the Egyptians and on the chariots and on their horsemen. He said, I want you to stretch out your staff or your promises over the sea again because the enemy's determined that he's going to come through the road I built for you to get to the promised land and hinder you and drag you back to bondage. But when he gets in the middle of what he thinks is going to be his victory, I'm going to destroy him. And you will see him no more. There's some of you here that you've looked back and you're headed down the highway and the road that God's got you on and you know you're headed for a good place. You know you're headed toward a victory. You know you're headed toward a healing. You know you're headed toward a deliverance. But you look back and you see the devil hot on your trail and he keeps telling you, I'm going to take your life. You ain't escaped me yet. I'm going to kill you. You're not going to beat this thing. You're not going to overcome it. But yet God said, stand up with the promise. And when you stretch the promise over the problem, you won't see the problem anymore because I'm going to destroy the problem. If you'll stretch the word over the problem, there won't be one. Hold on just a minute. When you stretch the word over a problem, there becomes no problem. So the Lord saved Israel that day out of the hand of the Egyptians, and Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Some of y'all need to start looking for dead Satan carcasses because the devil's going to lose this battle. He's already lost it. He just don't know it yet. You see, Satan uses the massive size of the Red Sea in an attempt to stop the people of God. He's still doing the same thing to us today. He starts by telling us how big our situation is and to distract us. And he gets our mind on the problem instead of on the problem solver. And if he can change our focus from the problem solver to the problem, then he can defeat us. But when we begin to realize where our focus is and we put our focus back on the problem solver and not on the problem, then we start gaining victory. God has never been hindered by the world He created. If God created it, it will respond to His command. There's nothing that God didn't create. 
Therefore, there's nothing that won't respond to his command. Therefore, there's nothing that's big enough, strong enough, powerful enough to defeat the children of God when we keep our faith in him. There's nothing that can defeat us. Matter of fact, Isaiah said in chapter 40, verse 12, he said, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, measured heaven with a span, calculated the dust of the earth in a measure, weighed the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance. Every valley shall be exalted, every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth because my God is the one that holds my future in the palm of his hand. It might not look like it to you, but whether you realize it or not, God's got your future in the palm of his hand and God's not going to let anything snatch you away from him. You see, God will remove all the obstacles from your path. He'll help you reach your promised land. Isaiah 42 and 16 said, I will lead them in paths that they have not known. I will make darkness light before them in crooked places straight. These things I will do for them and not forsake them. God will lead you in the directions that you never thought about possible. He'll make the dark places light. God is with you through every valley and through every storm if you will keep your faith in Him. Don't let the size of your circumstances discourage you. God has everything under control. Would you just give God praise with me? The third roadblock the children of Israel encountered was this. They had a warning hunger and a wailing thirst. They got hungry. You know, we're grumpy people when we get hungry. I guess that's the reason us Church of God folks know how to eat. We don't like grumpy people. We feed them. We keep them happy. The children of Israel began to complain to Moses and Aaron saying, Why did you bring us out here in this wilderness to die of hunger? At least when we were in Egypt, we remembered the fish that we could eat freely. The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. We sat by the pots of meat and ate bread until we were full. But now our whole being is drying up. We're dying. We're starving in the middle of this desert. But the Lord heard their complaints, and he told Moses to tell the people, I heard the complaints of the children of Israel speak to them, saying, In the evening you shall eat meat, and in the morning you shall be filled with bread, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God. And so it was that quail came up in the evening and covered the camp, and in the morning the dew lay around the, on the, the ground on the camp, and when the layer of the dew was lifted there on the surface of the wilderness was a small round substance as fine as frost on the ground. So when the children of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? And Moses said to them, This is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. They complained about being hungry. And so God said, I'm going to give you meat in the evening and I'm going to give you bread in the morning. And you ain't even going to have to shoot any arrows. You ain't got to set any traps. 
You ain't got to do anything except go out. God covered the camp in the evening with quail. Man. God gave them a feast. God took care of their need. But then they began to think. They said, well, we got this bread in the morning. We got this meat in the afternoon. And it's great and it's wonderful. But, you know, I sure am thirsty. I don't have anything to drink. I need some water from somewhere. And then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take the rod, you and your brother Aaron, gather the people together. Take the rod. What's he taking? He's taking the promises of God. He's taking his staff. He said, Take the rod, and I want you to get your brother, and I want you to get the children of Israel, and I want you to bring them together. And then he said, Speak to the rock before your eyes, and it will yield its water. And you shall bring water for them out of the rock, and give drink to the congregation and to their animals. Then Moses lifted up his hand, and he struck the rock twice with the rod, and water came out abundantly, and the congregation and their animals drank freely. Now, of course, we know that Moses didn't, God didn't tell Moses to hit the rock. He told him to speak to it, but I guess he got a little carried away and he got overzealous. So he took the word and he hit the rock. But God still honored it. Now, think about this there's 2.5 to 3 million people there, and they're needing a drink. I don't think a drink the size of our water fountain in the hallway is going to do it. There had to be a gusher of water come out of that rock. And the thing about it is, it wasn't just for a time being and then it ceased. The Bible doesn't say anything about the water ceasing from the rock. God not only gave them drink and quenched their thirst, but He gave them drink continuously so they would know where the water source was. And not only did he satisfy the people's thirst, but he said, I'm going to bring enough water out of that rock that it's going to be enough for you to drink and be filled and take care of your need, and you're going to be able to water your animals. Every need that you got is going to be took care of. Now think about this for a minute. God supplied them with food in the wilderness. Feeding two to three million people requires a lot of food. According to the quartermaster general in the army, it's reported that Moses would have had to have had 1,500 tons of food each day. Man, that's a buffet. I believe that beats Golden Corral. 1,500 tons of food a day. To bring that much food each day, it would take two freight trains each a mile long to bring that much food. Hmm. Then they were thirsty. If they only had enough to drink and wash a few dishes, it would take 11 million gallons each day and a freight train with tanker cars 1,800 miles long just to bring them enough water to meet their need. That's a lot of water. But then I ask this question. 
do you think Moses had all this figured out before they left Egypt? <laughs> I don't think so. Because he'd have probably pulled his hair out and not had any if he had any. It would have, it would have put so much fear in his life, he wouldn't have been able to have led the children of Israel out if he'd have thought about all this. How am I going to feed nearly three million people? How am I going to give them drink? How, how am I going to supply water for them? And there's other things. Do you know that if they're going to have that much food, they had to cook it. They wasn't going to eat raw quail. They had to have fire. If you've got to have fire, you've got to have wood. That would have caused another 4,000 tons of wood that would have to be supplied every time they got ready to cook a meal. They're in the middle of the desert. They're in the middle of nowhere. Where are you going to get that much wood? And then when you think about 3 million Jews that are fixing to make camp for a group of people that large, it took a space the size of Rhode Island for them to set up camp every night. It had to be a space of 750 square miles to be able to camp at night. Can you imagine what the thought of all this would have done to Moses if he'd have thought about all this? But he didn't think about that. He didn't say, God, you've got to show me the plan and how everything's going to work out and how I'm going to feed them and how they're going to get water and how we're going to cook food and how we're going to make camp. You've got to give me all this. He just said, God spoke to me out of a burning bush that wasn't consumed by the fire and told me to go get my people. And I'm going to get the people. And I'm going to lead them out of Egypt. And I'm going to leave the rest of it to God. It's difficult sometimes when you're in the middle of a struggle and you're in the middle of a challenge and you're in the middle of a, a tragedy and you don't have the answer, but all you know is something inside you keeps saying, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me, trust me, lean on me, trust me, lean on me, trust me, lean on me. But that's what God's saying to some of you. Because there's not an evident answer in front of you. We have to trust the Lord. You see, God was merciful to the children of Israel, for they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of their disobedience. But even in their disobedience, God took care of them. He did not let their clothes or their shoes wear out. He supplied them with quail and manna for food. He gave them water from a rock and for them to drink and for their animals to drink. God took care of their need, even though they didn't hit the mark every time that they were supposed to hit the mark. You know, that's another challenge that the enemy throws at us. As he keeps telling us, before we can get an answer, we've got to be perfect. And i got news for you. There's not a perfect person in this building. There ain't one. None of us are perfect. We all make bad choices. We all are disobedient. We all make mistakes. We all, we all put forth an effort, but it doesn't mean we hit the bullseye every time. 
And I'm just so thankful that God's a merciful God. That in the midst of our, us missing the mark, God said, at least you were trying. At least you were striving to get there. At least you were trying to do the right thing. You may have got sidetracked. You may have got thrown off course a little bit. But you were still trying to please me. And in your effort to try to please me, that's enough. And I'm still going to bless you. Don't let the enemy tell you that because you didn't do something or you didn't respond the right way or you wasn't obedient in something that you can't be blessed, you can't be healed, you can't be touched, you can't be delivered, you can't be set free. That's not true according to God's Word. God is a merciful God this morning. He's not a tyrant. He's not a mean God sitting up there looking at us, getting ready to pounce on us every time we make a mistake. Matter of fact, I believe God weeps and cries when we make mistakes because He has so much good intentions for us and He wants us to do so well. It breaks His heart. But He still reaches out with love, mercy, and compassion. And He helps us get to the place God wants us to be. The psalmist said in Psalms 46 and 1, he said, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. Psalms 37 and 25 said, I have been young and now I'm old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken nor his seed begging bread. I'm a lot older than I was at one time. I've seen a whole lot more than I could say 15 years ago. But I can say this, I'm older now, got a few years, got a few gray hairs, don't move quite as quick as I used to, don't bounce back as well as I did, but I've never seen God forsake His people. I've never seen God go off and leave us. I've never seen God not come through. God's always come through. And I want to leave this with you this morning as I close. That no matter what deal we're Church of God faces in 2020, God's going to help us through every battle, every struggle, every challenge, and everything that comes against us because God.